Hello, James Kenny here, and welcome to my podcast, Land of the Golden Sunset, the evolution of the Irish from biblical times. This is episode number 40, and is about the civil rights movement in Northern Ireland from 1968, and the British government and unionist response. I hope you like this, and that you will share with others on social media. If you wish to become a patron of the podcast, you can do so by visiting www.landofthegoldensunset.podbean.com. Among the marchers at the Northern Civil Rights March on the 5th of October 1968 was a young man by the name of John Hume, 1937-2020. to He arrived home to his wife and family, soaked to the skin from the water cannon jets directed at the marchers. His mind and body had been so assaulted in the attack that he vowed to do something to change matters in the future. A meeting was arranged where about 150 concerned citizens gathered in a hotel ballroom to discuss the action to take. John Hume was there, as was Ivan Cooper, a member of the Northern Ireland Labour Party. On Saturday the 19th of October 1968, Derry Citizens Action Committee organised an illegal sit-down at Guildhall Square as part of a large civil disobedience campaign and the event passed off peacefully, with John Hume singing the American civil rights song, We Shall Overcome. Ivan Cooper, 1944 to 2019, was born in the village of Claudie, County Derry, and was brought up for a while near Killaloo, where his parents ran the local post office, until the family moved to Derry in 1956. After school, he worked as a factory line manager in the shirt-making business the city's staple industry. Moved by the poverty he saw among the workers and by the anti-Catholic discrimination manifested by Derry's unionist-dominated council, his first move into politics came in 1965, when he briefly joined the Claudie Young Unionist Association. Shortly afterwards, he resigned, switching to membership of the Northern Ireland Labour Party which was trying to persuade working-class voters to join together on a non-sectarian basis. Cooper stood for election to the Stormont Parliament in 1965, winning some cross-community support, but failing to gain a seat. Around that time, there were widespread demands for the Unionist government to introduce reforms to benefit the entire working class on a non-sectarian basis. Cooper, by then, resident in the Bogside area of Derry, was at the centre of the campaign and, in 1968, left the Labour Party to become a founder member of the Derry Citizens Action Committee. His rallying call was for Catholics and Protestants to fight for their rights as the Blacks in America were fighting. On Wednesday, the 30th of October, 1968, Jack Lynch, the Taoiseach, or Irish Prime Minister, met with Harold Wilson, the British Prime Minister in London. The Taoiseach called for the ending of partition, 
as a means to resolve the unrest in Northern Ireland. The Irish Times newspaper carried the following interview by Dennis Kennedy with Lord Brookborough, former Prime Minister of Northern Ireland from 1943 to 1963. Have the persistent allegations of discrimination against Catholics in the North worried you? Yes, uh, one doesn't like the idea. But I would like to make this plain. The nationalists always say there is discrimination against Roman Catholics. Well, um, there is no discrimination against Roman Catholics qua Roman Catholics because they worship in a different way. What there is is a feeling of resentment that most, and let me emphasize the word most, the most Roman Catholics are anti-British and anti-Northern Ireland. This has nothing to do with religion at all. But there is this feeling of resentment that there is a man who is out to destroy Northern Ireland if he can possibly do so. That, I think, is it. They say, why aren't we given more higher positions? But how can you give somebody who is your enemy a higher position in order to allow him to come and destroy you? Are you not talking in terms of what might have been through, say, in the 1920s? Oh, no. I'm sure it still holds. I'm perfectly certain that if they got a chance, they would push Northern Ireland into the Republic. Is it not the democratic right of everyone, or anyone in Northern Ireland, to be a nationalist and an anti-partitionist? Yes, absolutely, his democratic right. And therefore, to expect completely equal treatment from the state? Ah, oh, well, it's very difficult to answer that. But surely nobody is going to put an enemy where he can destroy you. Even if he is going to use constitutional methods to do it? No. Oh, no, I wouldn't. On Saturday, the 2nd of November, 1968, there was a march in Derry by the 15 committee members of the Derry Citizens Action Committee, or the DCAC. The march took place over the route of the banned 5th of October, 1968 march. Thousands of people walked behind the DCAC committee. On Monday, the 4th of November, 1968, Terence O'Neill, the Northern Ireland Prime Minister, together with William Craig, Home Affairs Minister, Brian Faulkner, Minister of Commerce, met in Downing Street, London, with Harold Wilson, the British Prime Minister, and James Callaghan, the British Home Secretary, for talks about the situation in Northern Ireland. The British Prime Minister states that there will be no change in the constitutional position of Northern Ireland without the consent of the Northern Ireland population. On Saturday, the 9th of November, 1968, the Reverend Dean Paisley and Major Ronald Bunting led a loyalist march to the Diamond area of Derry. And on Wednesday, the 13th of November, 1968, William Craig, the Home Affairs Minister, banned all marches, with the exception of customary parades in Derry from the 14th of November, 1968 to the 14th of December, 1968. The exception of customary parades meant that loyalist institutions Orange Order could parade, but civil rights marches would be banned. With the initial success of the Guildhall demonstration, John Hume was now more determined not to be put off marching in organised parades. 
saying to his colleagues, If the Orange Order can do it, so can we. A test march was planned for the 16th of November 1968. The organisers anticipated that they might be stopped and had drawn up a contingency plan. The police blocked their planned route over Craigavon Bridge with a human chain, so the alternative plan was quietly put into action, and 20,000 participants began to filter quietly through the nearby streets, which were not policed. An estimated 15,000 people took part in the subsequent sit-down demonstration in the Diamond area of Derry. Such was their victory that the following Monday and Tuesday, factory workers and others came out and bravely marched in a way that was denied to them previously. John Hume's plan had worked in defiance of Stormont's ban on all marches, other than orange parades. Terence O'Neill, the Northern Ireland Prime Minister, announced a package of reform measures on the 22nd of November 1968, which had resulted from meetings in London with Harold Wilson, the Prime Minister, and James Callaghan, the Home Secretary. The five-point reform plan included the following. A nine-member development commission to take over the powers of Londonderry Corporation. An ombudsman to investigate complaints against government departments. The allocation of houses by local authorities to be based on need. The Special Powers Act to be abolished, as it was safe to do so. And some reform of the local government franchise to end company votes. On Thursday, the 28th of November 1968, the Electoral Law Act, Northern Ireland, became law and abolished university representation and the business vote in Stormont elections. It also created four new constituencies and a permanent boundary commission. A Northern Ireland Civil Rights Association march in Armagh on the 30th of November 1968 was stopped by Royal Ulster Constabulary because of the presence of a loyalist counter-demonstration led by the Reverend Ian Paisley and Ronald Bunting. The loyalist crowd then took over the centre of Armagh. Both Paisley and Bunting were imprisoned in January 1969 for unlawful assembly during this counter-protest. In loyalist orange areas, resentment was building up, led by the dominant personality of the Reverend Dean Paisley, who was organising counter-demonstrations. And on Monday the 9th of December 1968, Terence O'Neill, the Northern Ireland Prime Minister, made a television appeal for moderate opinion in what became known as the Ulster Stands at the Crossroads speech. The speech gained a lot of public support. The Derry Citizens Action Committee called a halt to all marches and protests for a period of one month. Thinking that, at the very least, freedom in the province was given the nod from Stormont, a large group, including students, decided on the 20th of December 1968 at a People's Democracy meeting that its members would undertake a protest march from Belfast to Derry, beginning on the 1st of January 1969. Approximately 40 members of People's Democracy began a four-day march from Belfast across Northern Ireland to Derry. The Northern Ireland Civil Rights Association and some nationalists in Derry had advised against the march. The march was modelled on Martin Luther King's Selma to Montgomery march. The first day involved a walk from Belfast to Antrim, 
Over the next four days, the number of people on the march grew to a few hundred. The march was confronted and attacked by loyalist crowds on a number of occasions, the most serious attack occurring on the 4th of January 1969. On Thursday the 2nd of January, the People's Democracy March continued on day two from Antrim to Mahara. On Friday the 3rd of January 1969, the third day of the People's Democracy March took it from Mahara to Claudi. On the fourth day and final day, of the People's Democracy March, it took marchers from Claudie to Derry, seven miles from its destination. The PD March was ambushed and attacked by a loyalist mob at Burntullet Bridge. The ambush had been planned in advance and around 200 loyalists, including off-duty members of the B-Specials, used sticks, iron bars, bottles and stones to attack the marchers, 13 of whom received hospital treatment. The marchers believed that the 80 RUC officers who accompanied the march did little to protect them from the loyalist crowd. As the march entered Derry, it was again attacked at Irish Street, a mainly Protestant area of the city. Finally, the Royal Ulster Constabulary broke up the rally that was held in the city centre as the march arrived. This action and the subsequent entry of the RUC into the Bogside area of the city led to serious rioting. On Monday the 3rd of February, Terence O'Neill, the Northern Ireland Prime Minister, announced the dissolution of the Stormont Parliament and the holding of an election on the 24th of February 1969. An election to the Stormont Parliament was held on Monday the 24th of February. The main feature of this election was the fragmentation of the Unionist Party into official Unionists and unofficial Unionists. Of the 39 Unionist candidates returned in the election, 27 were in support of the policies of Terence O'Neill, while 12 were against or undecided. O'Neill was re-elected as leader of the Unionist Parliamentary Party and thus was confirmed as Prime Minister of Northern Ireland and the Parliamentary Commissioner Bill was introduced on the 11th of March, which would allow for the appointment of an Ombudsman to investigate complaints against dormant government departments. In Derry, the home base of the majority of Catholics was the Bogside Housing Estate. This was now barricaded and regarded as a no-go area when a notice was painted on the wall saying, You are now entering Free Derry. The man who first dubbed the iconic slogan you are now entering Free Derry, on a gable wall in the city's bogside, was Liam Hillen. The slogan was thought up by Derry writer, activist and former Assembly member Eamon McCann early on the morning of January 5th, 1969. Eamon McCann was born in Derry and attended St. Columns College. He later attended Queen's University Belfast, where he was president of the Literary and Scientific Society the university's debating society. He was one of the original organisers of the Derry Housing Action Committee, a radical campaign group focusing on access to social housing. DHAC organised, in conjunction with the Northern Ireland Civil Rights Association, the second civil rights march in Northern Ireland. This march, which took place on the 5th of October 1968, is generally seen as the birth date of the Northern Ireland Civil Rights Movement. Rioting broke out in the city 
following the arrival of the People's Democracy March, which was attacked at Burntollet while police watched on. As crowds mingled, someone suggested writing a slogan on the gable wall, which was already a well-known assembly point. Eamon McCann recalled that a number of suggestions were made before he proposed, you are now entering Free Derry, copying a slogan in the US, you are now entering Free Berkeley. It was then that a young Mr. Hillen arrived with a paintbrush and a pot of paint. After asking Mr. McCann if there were one or two hours in entering, the dairyman wrote the famous words on the wall for the first time. It was later repainted in the now familiar block letters by another Bogside native, John Caker Casey. More violence flared up at a march in the largely Catholic town of Newry on the 11th of January 1969. And as the Cameron report concludes, the decision to hold a march in Newry on the 11th of January 1969 was taken at a public meeting in December. And on the 19th of December, a verbal preliminary notice was given to the police on behalf of the committee. The march was to be a protest against the denial of civil rights and, in addition, against alleged nepotism by councillors in the Newry area, discriminatory employment policies by local public bodies and the high level of local unemployment. A decision to reroute the march was taken at a meeting on the 9th of January 1969, held at police headquarters in Belfast. This decision was based on information that a counter-demonstration was planned by people from outside Newry. And in fact, Major Bunting gave notice that day of a trooping of colours and cavalcade, which was to pass through Newry at the time of the proposed People's Democracy March. This demonstration was to be organised by the local citizens of Ulster, about 1,000 people in a colour party and support parties. On the morning of the march, a representative deputation saw the police authorities in Newry. These included people of most political views in the town, including unionists and the People's Democracy organisers. The organisers then agreed for the first time to accept rerouting if there were signs of counter-demonstration. The police put this proposal to their headquarters, but again the decision was to let the rerouting stand. The Newry's People Democracy Committee had attracted widespread support for the march. During the days following the attack at Burntollet and the Derry riots, public interest was at its highest. Large numbers of television and pressmen arrived in Newry, and the chief steward was a well-known Republican and obtained large parties of stewards from other areas of the province. There was support from all sections of the civil rights movement. The local committee decided that they would not accept a rerouting, but that there should be a token breach of a police barricade. Then the marchers would sit down and would be told that the town hall, the labour exchange and the office of Newry No. 2 Rural District Council had been occupied. The plans for these occupations of public buildings were only disclosed to selected stewards but it was intended to announce what had been done to the marchers in order to ease the situation if the march was halted. The chief marshal had unofficial plans of occupation of public buildings by the marchers. None of these arrangements were carried out. The organisers arrived only a few minutes before the planned start of the march at 3.30pm. The loudspeaking equipment did not work. They had no lorry from which to speak. 
The more experienced civil rights campaigners wished to explain the situation to the 6,000 people present before the march moved off, but this could not be done effectively in the circumstances. Leaflets, however, had been circulated, which asked the marchers to sit down and await the decision of the stewards if there was a confrontation with the police. The march moved off late, and the leaders had difficulty in reaching the police barricades at Merchant's Quay because there were already a large number of people blocking the route. The local organisers then formally asked for the removal of the barricades and were formally told by the district inspector that the rerouting must stand. At this stage, while speeches were being made, the leaders discussed what to do. The local organisers disclosed their plan to announce the token occupation of public buildings as a diversion, but it appeared that these occupations had not taken place, apart from two people being in the town hall. Even if these operations had been fully carried out, experienced leaders believed that the announcement would have been pointless as an effective diversion. No other alternatives had been planned. Meanwhile, violence at Merchant's Quay was increasing. Some speeches advocating violence against the barricades. Michael Farrell, Kevin Boyle and John Hume in different ways recommended peaceful dispersal. While Mr Hume was speaking, his loudhailer was snatched from him and a number of people attacked the police tenders. The stewards attempted to restrain these people but were outnumbered and untrained. The three police tenders blocking Merchant's Quay were eventually burnt or pushed into the dock. Several tenders elsewhere were burnt or driven away. One of these raced down Merchant's Quay towards the police, but at the last moment swung right across the bridge and was driven into some burning wreckage. There was sporadic violence in Newry until late that night. The march itself had broken up much earlier. Many of those who attended had no idea of what happened later until they saw it on television. Michael Farrell, however, was still in Newry and attempted to occupy the post office, and there were attempts to sit down on the Dublin Road. Meanwhile, police remained behind crash barriers at Merchant's Quay. The district inspector was determined to minimise bad publicity for the police by keeping them apart from the marchers. Policemen, who drew batons at critical moments, were ordered to replace them. Finally, however, the key had to be cleared at about 9pm by a baton charge. Michael Farrell was an Irish civil rights activist, writer and former leader of the People's Democracy. From its inception through to 1969, Burntollet Bridge incident and into the 1970s, educated at Queen's University, Belfast and the University of Strathclyde, he became involved in the Northern Ireland Civil Rights Movement in the late 1960s and was a founding member of university-based People's Democracy, which was established on the 9th of October 1968, after the RUC had broken up a civil rights march in Derry on the 5th of October. Christopher Kevin Boyle, 1943-2010, to was an Irish-born human rights activist, barrister and educator. He was among the first in the academic law community to engage in human rights activism. Born and brought up in Newry, Boyle studied law at Queen's University Belfast. He was a lecturer in law at Queen's when he took part in the 1969 People's Democracy March from Belfast to Derry, which was attacked by loyalists at Burntullet. He was later involved in the Northern Ireland Civil Rights Association. This event at Newry was another rung in nationalist politics, although it did not seem so at the time. The civil rights movement was being forced to make a decision about entering the closed shop of the Stormont political setup. 
meet and greet each other as they pass along their way. Not much is different to the eye, but deep down inside, deep down inside, some people live to die. Divided by what happened in the past 